Hello and welcome to this, the first of two very special episodes of the Life of Die podcast. The central topics of discussion in these specials will be the Strong Team Dog miniatures game and the Judge Dread miniatures game, both of which are published by Warlord Games. And I'm absolutely thrilled to say that I'm joined by the lead designer in both games, writer and all-round tabletop gaming legend, Andy Chambers. Andy requires little introduction, but for anyone not in the know, I first became aware of his work through several supplements and battle reports for 2nd edition Epic in the 1990s. But during his time with Games Workshop, Andy was lead designer on such classics as Necromunda and Battlefleet Gothic, and indeed has written a number of novellas set in the Warhammer 40,000 universe. Outside of his time with Games Workshop, Andy was lead designer on Mongoose publishing Starship Troopers miniatures game and Dust Warfare for Fantasy Flight games. More recently, he's worked extensively with Warlord Games, creating Blood Red Skies, which is a World War II air combat game, as well as the games we'll be chatting about today, two games based on 2000 AD-related properties, the Strong Team Dog miniatures game and the Judge Dread miniatures game. This first podcast takes us through Andy's journey of creating a system which was used for both games and makes for a great listen for anyone interested in either of those systems or indeed the development of a gaming system. So without further ado, welcome Andy. Oh, hi there, Gordon. It's lovely for you to invite me on tonight to have a bit of a chat. Oh, it's lovely to have you here. So thanks for joining me. So as a long-time 2000 AD fan myself, I thought a good place to start this would be to ask about your own background with the Galaxy's Greatest Comic. Can you remember your first prog? I've been trying to remember the number of it. I had to dig around. I've actually got a, a prog 152 on hand, but I've got a feeling it was it was before that. So that would make me 13 years old, and I'm sure I remember uh, reading them at junior school rather than at comprehensive school. So I don't know. I can remember the Judge Dread strip that was in it, but I can't remember the prog number for it. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> what which strip was it? Out of interest. Uh, there's one where he fights a bunch of guys that have got like construction exoskeletons. Oh yeah. They're doing a robbery with him, like ripping the safe door off with it and all this sort of stuff. And he kind of hunts them down and ends up on um, like the monorail with the last of them. And uh, that that just has stuck in my mind ever since. That was kind of my, my first, like, oh, wow, 2008 experience was reading that strip. Yeah, I love that story. I've actually just written a Judge Dredd adventure, which is kind of happening parallel to that storyline. So that's really weird. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> It's it's because it's an amazing mem- it's just a one off one shot and it's just an amazingly memorable bit of sort of like mega city life you know day in the day of Judge Dread sort of thing not even a day you know half an hour but uh, yeah it really makes a mark and it really shows off the city really well I felt yeah and the kind of the uh, busy body that's kind of following them around yeah <laughs> oh, it's a great story that one so was Dread your favourite strip or was there other strips that were your particular favourites um. I've always, yeah, I've always liked Dread. I mean, it, it's it's been through some highs and lows over the years because it's it's such a perennial that it's always in there. So not everything's been great for it, but I've always loved Dread. Uh, Strontium Dog, it will not surprise you in the slightest, uh, was another one of my favourites. I always loved anything with Esquira art. Yeah. Um, so I liked all the Stanley Steel Rat strips that they did as well uh, over a period where they, they converted those stories into a comic strip. I thought they were ace. Uh, what else? Uh, the VCs, that made a big mark in its time as well. Was that Jerry Finlay Day, I think it was his name? And uh, Cam Kennedy, I think, did the art on that. 
Yeah, again, they went through different artists, but Cam Kennedy's art was the the one that really sold me on it more than anything else. They they did yeah, just nice looking spaceships and space war with the with the geeks. So that was a cool one and uh, really made a mark for me. Let me see what other stuff's perennial that sort of like lasted through. Uh, Rogue Trooper as well, although again that that's been so, through some serious highs and lows over the years. Slain has been another one for me because. It's such a rarity to see like a fantasy strip like that done mm-hmm. um, at all, really, let alone in 2000 AD. So I, I used to like Blackhawk actually as well, uh, which is kind of the predecessor to Slain. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. That's one of the ones that's passed me by. Uh, I came on a bit late, um, so a lot of the a lot of the early stuff I've read is through all the the case files and you know the reprints of the 2000. Yeah, that that that's an old like Star Lord strip, I think it was. Yeah, uh, that kind of came across when they they merged with Star Lord, so it's really early on, and yeah, kind of fell by the wayside in the end. Yeah. So that sort of stuff really fairly predictable, as you might imagine, given the trajectory of my career thereafter. Oh, well, mustn't not mention Nemesis the Warlock as well. Oh, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> that was my favourite. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely love Nemesis and ABC. And ABC Warriors, which kind of intertwines with it at times as well and stuff like that as well. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of funny. ABC Warriors didn't, in my mind, sort of like separate itself out as a strip until quite a bit later. But uh, I did catch some of the earlier stuff, which is kind of what it's grounded in. So that was very cool as well. So yeah, a lot to go at, really. And it, it really kind of opened up my mind to fantasy and science fiction across a you know a broad range of different ideas and takes on stories i i actually still subscribe to this day i get 2000 ad because i really value it i mean it's it's a weekly comic even now that they're producing so that's quite something really yeah fantastic so you must have been absolutely delighted then to uh then be tasked with uh, bringing stronton dog to the table so I was just wondering how did how did you first become involved then with that with that project? Um, I'd been doing. I moved back. I've been living in the US for a few years, and I moved back in 2011. And I picked up some work with Warlord at the time because mm-hmm. I was doing freelance stuff, and uh, so I wrote some alt action books for them, and just sort of like you know reconnected. And there's a lot of guys there that uh, are ex workshop that I used to work with back in the day as well. And so through them, sort of fairly directly from Paul Sora, I think he told me that um, they were getting the license to do Rebellion stuff. And they, they were already doing like Doctor Who license stuff and so on. So it wasn't that that wacky because they did pursue a few licenses. And I was, I was delighted. It's not much of an exaggeration to say it's a lifelong dream <laughs> to be able to do tabletop miniatures game for 2000 AD. Because like I say, it, it's been there for as long as I've been into tabletop gaming as a sort of like real source of inspiration for me. So yeah, I was uh, jumped on it, absolutely jumped on it <laughs> and said, yes, me. And they were up for that. And Rick had sort of like figured out, Rick Priestley um, had figured out a few sort of like basic ideas of what to do with making 2080 style games. Um, requirements more than anything. Um, so there was kind of some, some basis to start working from right away. And yeah, just sort of like worked it up from there, really. And it's, in, I say, a real delight to be able to get back onto um, just working with something you've known ever since your childhood. You know, hallowed ground is probably the way some people feel about Star Wars and stuff like that. <laughs> no, definitely. I mean, I've uh, recently been playing the Games Workshop Judge Dread, so that was where I started. That was when my gaming started because I was a 2000 AD fan, and I just saw the the gaming uh, version one day. 
talking about that. I'll have a go at that. And then that opened the door through White Dwarf to to uh, Warhammer Forty Thousand was just about to be released first edition. So that was all. That was really my my mm-hmm. gateway into into role playing yeah. and war gaming, which have stuck with me all my life. Um, so. Yeah, it was it was great as well. When obviously when I, I realised that you were releasing the Strontium Dog game, so it was it was an exciting time for me as well <laughs> seeing that happen. I think there's been a lot of us have been lurking around, kind of hoping for something um, tabletop and uh, based around 2008. And you know, and there have been ones before, mm-hmm. must be said. But uh, yeah, it's nice to see it back in circulation again. It really is. No, definitely. So I suppose starting then with, with Strontium Dog, um, was it always a plan that that would be the first of the 2000 AD properties to be made into a game? Or was it the case that there was a range of strips that were considered before coming around to Strontium Dog? We, we talked around it and it was clear, um, you know, right from the outset that Judge Dread would be the big one uh, in terms of, you know, all of the stuff that's in 2000 AD. That's the one that's had movies made about it and stuff like that. So it was pretty obvious that would be the big one. But at the same time, we didn't necessarily want to jump straight into doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, we felt like it would be a better bet to to pick something else that was a bit more contained, and you know, test out the ideas we were playing with and the rule set that we were doing and so forth. Because the core idea was to try and do like a, a universal set of rules that could then be used for you know all of the 2000 AD uh, IPs. You know, whether it was ABC Warriors or uh, just Dread or Strontium Dog or what have you, really, or Rogue Trooper for that matter. So we wanted to know that that would work properly before we got too fully committed to doing Judge Dread. And if we jumped in straight from the outset, we didn't feel like it would necessarily be uh, putting best foot forward on that front. Um, and like I say, Strontium Dog had the appeal of like, it, it's a fairly tight history. You know, with Judge Dread with those so many strips, you can go endlessly just trying to decide on what miniatures to make more than anything else. It's like, okay, we make just dread and then what? There's a ton of other stuff to do. Whereas it's a it's a lot more easy to sort of like go, okay, what were big features in uh, Strontium Dog? You know, what were the named characters and stuff? And get them done. Yeah, it was exciting for me because obviously I had seen Judge Dread before and it, it I thought that would be where it would you know that would, to me would be the more obvious one. But yeah, I mean, that, what you just said explains it explains it and it makes a lot of sense. So I can see why you, you did that. Yeah, yeah, we just wanted to sneak up on it, basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll go into that later on, but ju- yeah, Judge Dredd's just gets so many different things you can, characters across those 40 years as well. So. Yeah, and the other thing I sh- is worth mentioning is art styles as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Strontium does got this thing where it's got a really consistent art style to it because, you know, 99% of the strips were done by a squirrel. Yeah. Um, Judge Dredd doesn't. It's got a lot of classic strips that have been done by different artists down the years. So, you know, plus, as I say, you've got the movies, uh, the more recent sort of like uh, takes on that as well. So it's kind of a lot more complicated question about exactly what do you model for Judge Dredd than there is about Strontium Dog. There's not really much question there. It's like, well, you look at the strips and you model those characters, but boom, done. But when you do Judge Dredd, it's like, oh, well, which version of Judge Dredd are we doing? What version of the Lawgiver should he have, Uh, you know? What, what does the Lawmaster bike look like in this particular instance and so on? You start having to firm up a lot of detail like that. Oh, definitely. So once you knew that um, Strunton Dog was the, the first property you'd be dealing with, presumably you had to reread all the strips again and, and figure out what you were going to use in the game, as you, as you mentioned there. Were there any things in the stories that you were particularly looking for in relation to adapting it into the game? Um, 
kit mostly. Um, you know, I got uh, Gav Thorpe in to help me out because he he's another inveterate lover of 2000 AD, and I worked with him before, obviously at Games Workshop, and he was keen. And it was good to have a sort of two man team for it because we could both read through and like fish out different things from the strips. Fortunately, um, there's a compendiums of all the Strontium Dog stories now, uh, which we were very kindly supplied with by Rebellion in PDF form, I might hasten to add. Boo. <laughs> but uh, we, we read through them all, kind of refreshed our memories uh, on what was there. And once again, it's kind of surprising what you remember and what you don't, really. It's like, apparently I can remember the entirety of the killing from end to end, because that made a big impression on my uh, my little young brain. Um, but there was other stuff I'd forgotten about as well, or indeed never seen in a few cases because I'd missed out on a prog here or there and stuff like that. So, but yeah, it was it was one of the things that we talked about early on um, was that the equipment was going to be a funny one because Strontium Dog really has. I mean, all stories have this to a certain extent, but Strontium Dog has got this sort of like incredible, powerful technology which appears only when it's convenient to the story. Mm. Time bombs being the classic example, but <laughs> yeah. you know Johnny's blaster, more variable cartridge blaster as well. It's like every now and again when it was important, it could be number four cartridge or number three cartridge. End of story, you know. But it wasn't always that. There'd be other times that he didn't use it at all, even though you'd think under the circumstance it would be the right thing to do. So we needed to get a system in place that would kind of work with that. Yeah, because obviously just sort of like issuing a number of number four cartridges at the start of the game. I know what gamers are like. They'll just blast them off at the first thing they see Yeah. every time. I go like, ha, I've won. Look at me. I'm brilliant. So we, we needed to sort of systematize that to some extent as well. And also have a think about how we could come up with a game where friends and enemies could be, you know, could be the same thing on different days and so on, because it's it's that kind of a background to it where there's often double crosses and, the guys who were helping you out turn on you and stuff like that. And we, we kind of wanted something that would encompass that. So it was less of a classical war game in the way of like, yeah, I pick my forces, you pick yours, we line up and we fight. So we, need, we needed to sort of like research into how that would look. And Gav looked at that in terms of how the stories came together. You know, what were the different points where there were fights and stuff like that? No, definitely. And a lot of that comes through in the, the armory and chicane the cars, which will we'll touch upon shortly <laughs> um, which I, I really enjoyed myself so were there any unexpected ideas for the game that arose from the, the source material was there something really like left field that you didn't you weren't really anticipating i suppose um i think the chicanery cards that was a gav, a gav idea that he came up with from reading through the strips to add another type kind of dynamic that wasn't just based around the raw stats of the models or even the weapons they've got on the kit. Mm. The uh, you know, dirty tricks and playing dead and stuff like that. And it, again, seemed like it'd be a cool thing to be able to have some sort of system for that in the game. Um, because then you can start to have characters who are good at dirty tricks. Just like, you know, you have characters who are well-equipped and they have more armory cards. You might have guys who are good at dirty tricks and they have more chicanery cards and so on. So it was kind of a good tool to have uh, and that was unexpected. That was something we weren't really looking to from the outset. Yeah, it was a, a great idea because it, it, it does really capture a lot of the, the flavour of the spirit, uh, those cards. Um, and like you say, it is a big feature in the strip. So in, in terms of the actual game design, then 
was it after you were tasked with doing it that you had this game system in your mind or was it or was it something you were already working on before no no came up with it fresh sort of like built around the brief really that uh, rick had done of which the main thing was that he wanted a kind of an activation system a bit like bolt action where you know they, they pull different dice out of a bag for that and that works really well it's a nice integrated system he wanted to do something like that uh that used like tokens that we would produce so we could do little special 2000 ad tokens which is where the action chip system came from so that was the main thing that came out of the brief the way to handle special mechanics of combat movement and la 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 and all that sort of stuff that was kind of built off some other games that i've done down the years really right. where i played around with different systems and the sort of the dice pool idea rather than dice with modifiers I think of as being a better way of doing things these days. So I was particularly keen to use that. Yeah, I mean, I, it was one of the things I really love about both the games are, are those dice, because I thought the idea that replacing the traditional numbers that I was used to doing, I've got a background with Epic and other games like that, where it's traditionally rolling numbers. And I was... Mm. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I know. <laughs> Straight stating the obvious there. Um, but yeah, it was the fact that it had this kind of clear visual outcome on the actual dice. I, I really, really appreciated that. Yeah, and I, I'd, I'd first played around with it when I did uh, Dust Warfare, as that used a system where the dice are literally all, all blank except for two of the faces. It's like five and fives and sixes are the things that count. Uh, and then I did Blood Red Skies, or started developing Blood Red Skies, where it was just like everything's blank except for one face, so it's sixes only count. And I'd really just like got into the idea because it's when you try and teach people a game, it's so much easier to say, okay, you get an extra dice for this, you get an extra dice for that. And it's to say, all right, now roll these dice and add one to all of the numbers that you get. <laughs> Do some mental arithmetic, divide it by seven, and that's the number of hits you get. It's just way easier uh, to pick up, I think, for people. So I was keen on doing that. And um, I mentioned the Doctor Who game. Mm -hmm at uh, Warlord Do. And I was talking to Roger Garish, who does, does most of the work for that. And he pointed me to the combat dice they were using for Doctor Who, which are actually pretty much the same as the ones that we used in Strontium Dog and Judge Dread now, because they were what we used in playtesting. Because they actually went that little step further where they do have different symbols on them. Mm -hmm. So you can have like an armor symbol, and you can have a hit symbol, and you can have another a something else symbol as well. And that again, was um, just a really great mechanic to be able to leverage to make life easy because you can build in certain numbers. It's like effectively a four, five, six is a hit on those dice and a five and a six is armor. Yeah. So you can kind of build those numbers into the system without them having to be like on the outside where you have to be aware of them. It's just a fact of life. You know, you can roll the same number of attack dices, armor dice, but if you're counting hits on one and armor on the other one, the results will come out slightly different. So they they actually proved to be a really useful tool in general. So we adopted them full-fledged uh, for the game system. Yeah, no, it was, uh, as I say, it was something I, I really enjoy about it. And um, as well, the, the armory cards and chicanery cards, which we alluded to earlier on, um, they seemed really inspired because obviously the armory cards, like you mentioned, the Electro Flare and the number four cartridge and these things, Electronux, it was great to get using some of that hardware in the game. And I, I thought it was good as well that, like you say, that it, it wasn't just that you had the straight ammunition there and then. It's, you've got to draw the cards to, to get those things because 
agree with you. Players would just use <laughs> the most explosive and they just blow them off on work on turn one because why wouldn't you sort of thing so yeah it was actually a, a big balancing feature as well as that if we're going to have stupidly powerful things then you know at least it can be random that it's a card draw that you get them and stuff like that and it also applies to both sides that they might get them as well so uh, it just seemed like a, a far more measured approach to it than trying to build a system that would do it in a in a kind of more conventional war gamey sort of a way mm-hmm you must have had a lot of fun uh, designing the, the armory and chicken the cards, presumably. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Because, well, it's one of these things where you run through like, oh, we've got to have this, we've got to have that, we've got to have this, we've got to have that, and we've got to have this, and we've got to have that. And then you need to do a few more on the end, and it's like, oh, damn. Um, I don't know, like 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 handcuffs or something like that, or uh, infrared torch. He uses an infrared torch in one strip. You know, you start to get a bit desperate after one. <laughs> but for the core of it, for the really memorable stuff, the things that you know you do remember from the strips, it was a, just a, a great way of doing it and great fun as well. And credit to Paul Sawyer and his guys as well when they actually made those cards, they did a great job with them. They you know they they went through the strips and we we picked out a few things just from going out going through ourselves, but they did the main donkey work and going through the strips and finding like the right little panel for the time bomb or the electro flare oh my eyes or what have you ah oh, nice no because uh, i like that on the, the cards that there's quite out yeah it's one of the things i love about them they look great and this is one of the things where it's a real joy to work with a comic strip because you've got you know thousands upon thousands of panels which can potentially show a little bit of action like that that you can then use in a printed material yeah as well as the dice and the cards the other aspect of the game which i thought was incredibly successful and translating from strip to tabletop with the, the stats and skills for you know a whole cavalcade of characters from the, the strip because I thought they captured the essence of the personalities that I knew and loved from the strips so I was curious to know before you designed any of the characters did you have like a master list of skills for the game or did these evolve organically uh, almost on a character by character basis? Uh, it was sort of a mix of both uh, we'd got a couple of skills that I'd written in uh, in the course of doing like the, the core rules for the game, stuff like Gunfighter, where it was like, well, we're going to want something like this. It's going to apply to a few different characters because, again, we kind of looked at things like Western gunfight games because that's what Strontium Dog is ultimately. Is it's kind of a Western gunfight strip uh, more than anything else, and that there's kind of like a clear dividing line between if you're into your spaghetti westerns, what they call protagonisti, which is like the main character. You know, the guy who can draw and shoot multiple opponents while they're still trying to get their guns out of their holsters and stuff like that. And the rest. <laughs> so we knew we were going to need some like top flight skills like that to, to cover the, the really major characters like Johnny Alpha and so on. So we did, oh, what did we do? Want to Ride was one. Gunfighter was another. Brawler was another. And that was about it, I think, for sort of generic skills that we did on the way through. And then for the rest of them, we literally went through and said, well, do they get one of the, you know, core generic skills? And what else should they have to sort of fit in with the, what the character was that was shown in the strip and what abilities they showed off in the strip? So, yeah, they, they were kind of done by hand for most of them uh, in terms of skills. It could be particularly fun when you get to the, like, the weird brothers and stuff like that. Of Like, OK, what's your special skill? Uh... <laughs> yeah, he's, he's here, wasn't it? <laughs> There's one in them. Snaky hair and bit treachery. That's what his weird special skills are. <laughs> <laughs> Shooting your own allies in the back, literally, at some point in the strip. That's right. 
I've forgotten about that. I'll need to get a game again now. They appear like two or three times, and each time he shoots his own side at some point. That's why I put a rule in for it. It's like, <laughs> okay, this guy clearly gets victory points from killing his own people. <laughs> no, it was, it, was, uh, it was really successful, I thought. Um, so I, I really appreciated that. that. Uh, the, the rules for the character. It was a lot of fun to do. Honestly, it was. You know, like trying to like figure out what would make the Styx brothers feel like the Styx brothers in play and things like that. Yeah, and the Styx were always favourites of mine as well. I, I love the Styx brothers. I just, I think because the the uh, outlaw storyline that was my favourite of the the Strontium Dog strips. I just thought that was fantastic. That that one, and but I like to kill one as well. By the way, a lot. <laughs> There's so many good ones. That's the problem. This is the thing. This is the thing. That there's a lot of really amazingly good. And this, it was also an easy sell to people when you were saying, like, oh, you never heard of Strange Dog. Go and read the strips. They're amazing. Because you know you're going to hook him in with those because it, it's good stuff. It really is. No, definitely. It's still on the abilities. Was there any of the special abilities in the strip that you found particularly difficult to translate to the, the tabletop? Um, i say in a few cases, there was like what ability they should have, if any. Um, Durham Red was a bit of a tricky one. She's got this sort of like, well, she's sort of a vampire. She's sort of got, you know, mutant vampirism powers, but how far do you go with that? Mm -hmm. And how do you kind of balance it off so that she's actually a bit unreliable when she's got, you know, like a blood frenzy and so on? So that was the one that stood out for me as being the tricky one, trying to get right. I like the thing as well that was in for her about trying to double cross at the end of the. <laughs> <laughs> the end of the adventure, that was good as well, um, which was picked up from the strip, which I thought was great. So, yeah, it's all these wee touches, I think, that, you know, M did its Red, the Strontium Dog comic, I, I really think they would appreciate it, you know, if they've not given this, if they've not looked at the system, I think they should, because um, there were so many of these little touches and little details that have been picked up, which I thought was great. Oh, dude, it, it, it's a love letter, really, from me and Gav about Strontium Dog in general. So, you know, we, we really gave it our best shot on trying to translate it into a, a cool game. One of the things I really loved about it was the um, the system Gav came up with for doing scenarios, mm -hmm. which, again, we sort of talked around how to do it. But the fact it can be such a shifting set of circumstances between the two sides and what they're there for and what they hope to achieve, I think he did a really good job with that. Yeah, no, the the uh, the jobs or scenarios, um, as, you, as you mentioned, that I thought they were really geared for the setting. I thought they were really good that way and strong. I was wondering, were there many rejected scenarios? And if so, was there, is, do you think there's any likelihood we might see some of these other scenarios for maybe future supplement. It's a bit of a tricky one because because he built this system which kind of produces scenarios, it's hard to sort of like add on to it very successfully. I think probably the best bet for that is to try and write up scenarios you know, to a specific kind of incident that you're trying to reproduce or something like that rather than trying to bolt things onto uh, a mechanical system, which is ultimately what the job system is like. You, know, you plug things into one end of it and you get a scenario out the other end of it. Oh, allies. That was the other thing. The other thing that we needed to include was allies. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, again, from reading through the strips of like just the the Joes that turn up and generally get shot or something like that. So we built up the a sort of a, an allies system as much to help feed into the campaign uh, that we were writing for it as anything else. Yeah, and I was pleased to see Midden Face McNulty as a as a Scotsman. I always appreciated that character. <laughs> Oh, he's, he's unmissable. He, he's like one of the main, sort of like main string Trantim Dog characters, so we weren't going to miss out on him. Yeah, couldn't, 
And it also gives us the opportunity to put help my boob in there and stuff like that. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I think probably some Scots might be offended by some of the some of the stuff that uh, Middenface says. But when then when you realise that Jordan Wagner was was living in Greenock, um, you can accept it. It's, it's kind of one of those things. It's okay coming from your own. <laughs> but if yes. an American wrote it, we would be really really offended. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'd always assumed that was the case, that the whole reason that was there is because, you know, they, they were up in Scotland doing their work, so they were living it. Yeah, definitely. And so, in pre- presumably, uh, playtesting would have been the next stage. Was, was that a long process, or was it fairly straightforward? Or? You, you kind of, yeah, people always think you like you write a game and then you playtest it, but it's it's kind of more integrated than that. So we were starting to dick around with things fairly early around it early on in terms of rolling dice and so on and then you, you kind of ramp up as you go not not horribly long overall playtesting tends to be a lot more about whether the the sort of like mechanics on the tabletop hold together more than anything else mm-hmm. no i saw that i just i was something i'd never really known how it worked and yeah so that's that's interesting that it's it's kind of happening all the way through it rather than i always assumed it was like you wrote the game then you play test and then they feed back and so it's, it's much more... No, no, no. You don't do it that way because the, if you write the game, then you playtest it and it doesn't work. <laughs> it's a lot harder to go back and change everything to make it work. Uh, so you, you kind of build it up over a period of time and test out different parts of it as you go. It's a lot less sexy than people think it is, really. <laughs> uh, you know, eventually you get to start playing with armory cards and chicanery cards, but that's a long way down the track, Yeah, for example. Uh, one of the first things that we had to play around with quite a lot was the, the whole way the action chip system worked and how that would interact with things like uh, getting pinned and making star chips actually good enough. Because one of the key problems we knew we were up against was we'd already talked about it in terms of like, okay, what's going to go into the starter box for Strontium Dog? And it's like, well, we're going to have Johnny Alpha. We really ought to have Wolf. Uh, I guess we'll have the, the Gronk as well. Okay, so that's one side. So on the other side, we picked on Max Bubba because that's uh, one of the real operatic storylines for um, Johnny Alpha. And he, he reappears several times, and he has a gang of named characters, so they seem like a good bet. No, definitely. A big nemesis for them. Yeah, exactly. A literal nemesis for them, and vice versa as well. So that seemed like a good starting setup, but that puts, you know, you've then got two veteran gunslingers and a Gronk versus five fairly tough guys clearly not as tough but a kind of two to five split or three to five split was going to be tricky in terms of just activations and how much one side can get done over another one for which there's a cautionary tale that comes later when we get to just dread uh so we played around with that a lot to try and get the star chip system working properly whereby you know with momentum johnny and wolf could take down the entire uh, entirety of max bubba's gang without getting blown to pieces in the process. Yeah, and the, and the balance works very well from having played a lot of games myself of it. I, I know that they, that actually works pretty seamlessly, to be honest. I thought the balance of it was really, really good, no matter kind of which, which gangs are put together. And it was a lot of fun. Sometimes the good guys would win, sometimes they wouldn't. But yeah, it was always fun. And it was always be the card system as well, as I said, it always kind of delivered little twists. Yeah, that, that's really good because it, it makes it eventful. Whatever happens, it's going to be eventful. You know, it won't be dull. Unpredictable as well. You know, that you, sometimes you, you can tell on a game uh, the way the flow is going, how it's going to 
pan out, you know, the cards I found were great for just turning things on its head. <laughs> but again, with a really limited number of models that we were looking at, this is why having things like Play Dead and so on were really important to get into the chicanery deck. So it's like, oh, we've finished them off. Ah, ha, ha, no, you haven't, and all that sort of stuff. Because, like I say, you're playing with a handful of models on both sides, so no harm, no foul, really. And things can be over too quick if you're not very careful. So, yeah, that extra randomness on the cards was, as we found more and more through our games, a real uh, boon to, um, as I say, keep people on their toes. Not exactly the most balanced game that I've ever created, I must confess, but it is fun, and it is eventful. Yeah, well, like I said, I didn't, I don't think there was any games that I had where it, it was really easy for one side or the other. So I, I certainly never had any problems with the with the balance of the game. So as a result of the playtesting, were there, were there any major changes made to the system or was it really smooth sailing? Yeah, I, I say it was a bit choppy at first, getting the action chip system down and the star chips worked successfully because we, we tended to go from like, guys with star chips is kind of like they're just a shade better than normal guys to oh they are gods and they can do everything and uh, we eventually managed to hit sort of like a good middle game with the idea that you can get pinned from screwing it up so that was the the biggest sticking point all the stuff to do with like guns and shooting each other and just general stats that all worked fine from the outset so that was a blessing but i say at this point i've done number of tabletop games, quite a number of tabletop games, so that, that sort of thing comes fairly easily. It, it's more about the dynamics of how the turn the activations work is, is the tricky part, because to a certain extent we're going into a slightly unknown territory with uh, effectively random activations. So that was a bit of a learning experience in itself. Yeah, it was definitely a new thing to me because I was so used to one side moves all side moves, so I, I found it really interesting. And I, th- I think that was why the game was quite unpredictable in some ways, because there was some some games where Johnny was constantly getting reactivated. But sometimes, if it went, yeah, if you, as you say, if it didn't, the roll didn't come your way and you get pinned, then it it could be a lot trickier. And I would sometimes change my tactics as a result and play a little a little more defensively. Yeah, the, the unpredictability of it is one of the the things I really enjoy about it. As I said. It meant you never knew what was going to come next. <laughs> One of the things I was going to mention was that both the Strontium Dog and Judge Dread games have got lovely glossy rule books, which have got a great mix of game photos and images from the strip. And obviously you were reading through all that stuff, as you were mentioning earlier on. In the case of the the latter, did you have much say in the choices of panels to illustrate the rules, or was that...? Uh, we, we'd make occasional suggestions just in the in the body text of, like, this, I feel, would be a really good thing here. But for the most part, again, that was Paul. Uh, he's the reason those books look so good overall, because he's a big fan, huge fan of 2000 AD as well himself. So, you know, he wants to do right by them, and he's got a good, strong graphic sense from years and years and years of doing, like, White Dwarf magazine, and years and years and years of doing stuff for Warlord Games now, and producing books there. And he really put his best foot forward. Rebellion, you know, gave us access to all of the artwork uh, for comics back in for decades so basically if we could find right panel from somewhere then you know we could get original artwork for it from from the comic strip and pop it right into the book um they do look amazing i love those books they look really really good yeah i agree <laughs> i always love seeing the you know all, all the kind of favorite strips all the, the little panels from it yeah 
I can't, re- I can't resist looking at them and reading them as well. Exactly. And I'm telling you, man, from the perspective of trying to write a tabletop game from it, though, you know, having again, written lots of tabletop games without having that facility, the ability to have a little panel of art that kind of shows what you're talking about, you know, whether it's a gas bomb going off or rampaging dinosaurs or whatever, is just amazing. It's amazing to have that ability and go like, oh, show this here. Because it, it means that everything can be shown in pictures rather than words, or a lot more of it can be shown in pictures rather than words. And it, it makes it this really very kind of comic booky experience going through the rule book as well, which is great because it's really suitable because that's what it is. No, definitely. And obviously, a, a huge part of the a miniatures game is the, are the miniatures themselves. And both in the cases of both Strontium Dog and Judge Dredd, were you, did you have any input into the design of these? And were you pleased with how the characters in the comics were realized? Um, we got shown them and got to fret about whether they had the right guns on them and weaponry in general. Uh, they're nice sculpts in the first place. The biggest problem we have is everything that we saw for them were like STLs, like 3D renders for them. So their relative scale against each other was not something that was too apparent. And I think the range suffers a little bit in that some of them are quite slight, some of them are quite a bit bulkier and so on. So, uh, that's a bit of a downside to that process rather than actually having physical miniatures you can line up earlier on. But no, no, for the most part, because they were coming straight from you know illustrations in the comic book and they were faithful renditions of them, mm-hmm. that was, again, a bit of it that was really, really easy compared to doing a usual tabletop game. You have reference and it's like, does it fit the reference? Yes, it does. Tick. Okay, moving on. <laughs> The only tricky bit really was just making sure that the uh, Bubba's gang got the right guns or something that looked vaguely appropriate as the right guns for them. That's the one downside to a square is, is after a while, guns kind of just blur into a selection of tubes with a pistol grip. So it's like, oh, what is this? I thought they did get that right as well. You know, the Blizzard and um, obviously the West, probably I'm maybe focusing more on the iconic guns, but I, I know what you mean, that the kind of lesser characters, they are kind of more, I suppose, what, how many ways can you design a gun, I suppose? is, is uh... <laughs> It's kind of part of why I did the weapons the way I did in the end, so they're kind of like broad categories, mm-hmm. which you can then kind of put uh, extra rules onto to sort of say, okay, this is a blister blaster, you know, this is a Westinghouse variable cartridge blaster, but also, this is just a blaster, a generic blaster, to allow for that um, and, and to not get painted into a corner too much about having to say, well, this gun does this, this gun does that. Because it was pretty clear that there was a wide wide range of different weapons being shown. And, you know, it'd be nice to let people play around with that. We already had the idea that we wanted to do the build a mutie box and so have some like mutation rules in there and let people build their own mutants, their own mutant bounty hunters and so on. So we were already pegged in for having a character building system in there so a weapon building system didn't seem like too much of a stretch after that yeah well since as you mentioned it there i thought that was a, a really interesting and great section about designing your own characters and obviously that allows players to use miniatures from their other collections for other games which maybe fit in with the, the kind of flavor of the strong dog game or judge dread for that matter have you, I've seen a few people putting them to good use but have you had much feedback and on that front at all about the customization rules uh not a huge amount not a huge amount overall people seem to like them that, that's the main feedback i've got which it kind of surprised me how popular that section of the book was 
because it was kind of I say it was there to support a, a wacky idea more than anything else of like oh we can have a box full of mutants. <laughs> so I didn't know whether it would really get that much use or not, uh, but it seems it seems it, it has value for players. It's uh, it's gone down pretty well overall. And no, the main thing I've I've had back is some useful feedback about you know balancing off the numbers really in stat lines more than anything else. I mean, presumably when it was I know you're an old hand now. But did you feel any additional pressure because it was a 2000 AD property? Uh, we were keen to get it right, but like I say, both me and Gav uh, are very old hands at making tabletop games, so we, we've got a lot of confidence in our abilities on that front. It's just a question of putting the work in more than anything else uh, proud of and that was fun to play. So, you know, we were rattling down to Warlord to go and play it with those guys uh, as well and uh, just making sure they had a good time, and they did. Some games you get onto them and you just know you're on a good thing. And it got like that with Strontium Dog very, very quickly. So it's got s- sort of like such a strong presence already as an IP. Kind of writing a game within that's relatively simple uh, compared to sort of like coming up with something a lot more from scratch. So no, it was it was genuinely a joy to work on. <laughs> no, I can imagine. <laughs> and I, I think you achieved all the things that you, you just mentioned there that you wanted to, you set out to do. Yeah, I've, I've been been absolutely delighted with the reception it's got people seem to really like it and um and that's that's always nice as you might imagine it's not a given so uh, i'm really glad it went down well and just seemed to have sort of stirred up quite a lot of interest in strontium dog which it deserves because it is an absolutely classic strip in its own right absolutely i suppose one of the, the things i would say as a fan of the game myself um is there was some i'm still wanting more <laughs> <laughs> um, so obviously there was we had a few additional characters like the Creelers and the, the mutant army generals, um, which I was delighted to see uh, added as a, as I mentioned, a fan of Outlaw and also Portrait of a Mutant. But there's yeah, there's, I'm not the only fan that has mentioned they'd like to see some more of the characters, particularly from the Killing, which seems as it's your favourite. You've got yourself in trouble here. <laughs> Do you think there's any chance we might? see some of those characters or is it really completed now the project um i think there's a chance there's always a chance particularly with warlord because they 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 do have their finger in so many pies at once part of the problem which is part of why we did strontium dog first is that Judge dread tends to kind of blot everything else out once it's you know because it's the the 500 pound gorilla in the room once you've got that system out there yeah so a bit of an uphill battle, I think, right now to get more stuff done specifically for Strontium Dog. If there's more crossover potential, then maybe, which is why things like Mutis are never a bad one. But uh, I don't know. That's not really my department. I would hope that we would uh, sort of like refresh it, some character boxes at some point. But uh, there's a lot of 2008 games to do, guys. It must be said. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. It's a great spread of characters that you do have. It's just you know, you know what fans are like, Andy. Is uh, we're all we're always wanting yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> always want more. I mean, that, that's a good thing. And I'm, absolutely, I'd love, I'd love for us to be able to do the entirety of the Killing cast. Basically, uh, we're part of the way there, but you know, we need to do the, the was it the Dirty Twins and all the rest of it. Yeah, well. no. vicious malicious was my favourite. <laughs> vicious malicious, and uh, what was the blobby guy called? I can't remember. I think it just was called the Blob. Yeah. Thank you, boys. <laughs> and so on. So, yeah, it'd be, it'd be great to do a box set of them sometime. We'll see. I don't know. I might petition Paul about it, just poke him. But I know he's got a lot on his plate, I say, with Judge Dredd right now. Like, oh, God, 
Please do more for Judge Dredd. Um, I should take the opportunity as well to say that I don't know when it's coming, but me and Gav have written a slain game at this point as well, so there'll be that to do. So you can throw some barbarians into your Strontium Dog game if you really fancy it. Once again, I'm in conversation with legendary tabletop games designer Andy Chambers about Warlords 2000 AD games. In the first special, Andy talked about his own love of the Galaxy's Greatest comic and discussed the process of designing and then releasing the Strontium Dog miniatures game. And in this second part, the focus turns to Judge Dredd. And if that isn't enough thrill power for you athletes, keep listening if you want to hear a lot more about the future for 2000 AD tabletop gaming. Moving on to Judge Dredd, Andy, how did you find the process of writing that game differed from your experience in Strontium Dog? Presumably there was a lot less on the mechanics side to do. Uh, yeah, and that was kind of the plan as well of like why we did Strontium Dog first is because it was going to be another like skirmish gunfight effect do just dread so it was a good way of testing out um the dynamics of that and as i mentioned with over 40 years of strips in the prog i mean presumably it must have been fairly overwhelming trying to figure out what you were going to have in the game uh for just dread yeah yeah really absolutely it's like you know do you pick one of the classic strips do you like apocalypse war or something like that do you do something generic one thing that made life a little bit simpler was that Paul was keen to do Mark II lawgivers just for the castability of them because the Mark I lawgiver has got a very long, thin barrel to it. The Mark IIs are a lot more chunky looking and it was pretty clear that A, Mark I lawgivers tend to look a little bit wimpy. They even did in the strips back in the day, it must be said. Yeah. Whereas like Mark II has got a bit more chunk to them and it would just be more practical to make them that way. It would also help to tie them more closely to the Carl Urban Dread film, which wasn't so very long ago. So in terms of like kind of recognizable imagery, some of the decisions were were already being made in effect because it's like, well, there's a modern take on Dread that isn't the same as it was in the 1980s exactly. A lot of it is the same, but a lot of details about the kit and stuff like that have changed slightly to as much to, to sort of fit with modern taste as anything like that. Like I say, the, the original Part 1 lawgivers look a bit weird frankly to modernize i think a lot of people that even are familiar with you know that have a lot of love for the early strips which i think most people or a lot of the 2000d community do i think there's a number of us of a certain age <laughs> who are looking back at this from our childhood and, and you know the maybe the first 10 years probably are their favorite but i would agree that the uh the choice with the, the lawgiver was the right one to make because it's as one of the, the kind of as you say weaker points of the, the design unfortunately because um, the design's really strong in Judge Dredd in general terms. They're really iconic. The, the actual Judge Dredd uniform, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I say just the gun lets it down a little bit. Not a big deal. It's, and like I say, the, the Lawmaster bikes as well have, got, have gone through a lot of different iterations over the years. It's not a problem, you know. There are more types of them, you know. There isn't just one kind of motorcycle, but when you're making a miniatures range, you need to nail down to like, okay, what kind of Lawmaster are we doing? Is it a classic Bolland one, or is it a more recent one? La 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 la. Is it an Exquira one, <laughs> and so on? The, all these decisions we didn't have to make with Strontium Dog because Strontium Dog was easy because I say one artist did most of the work on it, so you could just say like that and say it's not enough like the the original artwork and, and things like that. And that was a legitimate criticism, which is dread. It's a, it's a bit more diffuse. Yep. And in terms of the the differences between the two strips, was there any key differences between the setting and tone of the two that you wanted to bring to the gameplay to differentiate between the two games? Yeah, there, there was um, like I say, the, the Strontium Dog was very, it's very much a spaghetti western, 
Western gunfight. Just Shred isn't so much like that. It's far more sort of crime drama. So there, there was the idea of like one side being fairly faceless criminals of one description or another, set against the the very sort of like sharply defined judges. It's pretty clear we'd be doing that from early on. So the cast of characters would be quite different. For one thing, you know, you get a few named villains in Dread, but they aren't even necessarily like tough fighters and things like that. You know, they'll often be like crime lords or something, rather than you know. A, guy who can draw and fire three guns with his three arms or something along those lines. So we knew we'd have to be a bit more um, broad with the, the opposition, the gangs of Mega City 1, whereas the judges themselves would actually be very bound, standardised kit, all the rest of it. So there was quite a strong contrast there between how Strontium Dog was, where it was like, well, it's a bunch of individualistic mutant bounty hunters fighting each other. Two, we got law and order on one side, chaos on the other. Da, 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 da. Now, how to do that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was something I'd, I'd noticed myself that it's obviously more generalized groups like the block gang, society death, fatties, and, and so on. So, presumably, that was a quite a challenging thing because you were, you were going from individual characters to more generalized groups, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely, too. It, it was effectively like taking the, the allies section out of Strontium Dog and kind of boosting them up into more like faction sections. So a bit more kind of classic war game. And if I'm honest, Judge Dread doesn't doesn't really benefit from it too much. If I have my time again, I might do that differently. Because you can pick a killer gang out from Judge Dread and the you know the, the judges will be running scared. So uh, a bit more randomization, something like that, I think was probably called for rather than, oh, here's an army list, you know, pick what weapons you want and so on. Because, again, wargamers, I'll pick the best ones, of course. <laughs> Why should I have a load of juice with tyre chains when I can have, you know, a sniper with a sniper rifle sitting on the block halfway across the table? And so on and so on. So, yeah, suffers a little bit from that, I think, overall. Not quite what we were looking for. Yeah, that's a that's a shame. I, I I wish people would just play it for the fun of it rather than. I, I suppose it depends. You know, some people are power gamers and and they enjoy that. I can I can understand that. Yeah, absolutely. So, so and you know, God bless them. I, I don't hold anything against them. That's the way um, some people enjoy a game. If you give them those tools, they will they will happily wield them. So as a designer, really, it's it's more on you than anything else. It's not on the gamer. You give them those tools, you know, you get exactly what you signed up for at that point. And, uh, yes. So, as a, as a veteran game designer, I should know better. Really should know better. <laughs> By now. Because it's, it's a fairly predictable outcome. But, oh well. Onward and upward, as they say on that front. And it's not like Just Tread is a terrible game. It's okay, and as I say, if you play it for fun, it's a fun game. But it's more breakable, I think, than Strontium Dog is. And for some people, that's where the fun is. <laughs> so some people love that stuff, I know. Yeah, absolutely. As we alluded to earlier on, the mechanics of Judge Dread are very similar to those in Strontium Dog, but one significant change was that the chicanery cards were replaced by the Big Meg cards. What were the reasons for that change, and how do you think it altered gameplay? Really, the one of the things you'll notice about Judge Dread, if you read the comic uh, enough, is that one of the biggest characters in it is actually the city itself. It's this totally wild sci-fi sort of a place that's also, you know, got some really nasty back alleys to it. And there's always weird stuff going on. All kinds of weird fads that the citizens follow and all this sort of thing. And they'll they'll invariably feature into the story at some point about, you know, whether people are into boinging this week or some kind of new chewing gum. And we wanted to get an aspect of that into the game itself. 
you know, an awareness that the Big Meg was a, a place, a real character, this sort of canvas that you're playing out uh, your game across. So that was really why we, we felt very strongly that we wanted to have some sort of like almost random event cards that would reflect different things happening in the Meg and give us some chance to, you know, out some well-worn artwork and go, remember these guys? <laughs> Whereas the chicanery thing, sort of like, it really suited Strontium Dog because it is very spaghetti western and backstabby and you know, people playing dead and stuff like that was um, really sort of fit the theme a lot better. So it kind of made sense to cycle that out. We Obviously, we were going to need armory cards in both games because they, they've got very similar systems. So... Um, yeah, we traded off our chicanery for sort of like random events with the big mag deck instead um, for a flavour, really. Just make it distinctly Judge Dreddy. No, definitely. And it, it was successful in that. And, and once again, it's the same as Strontium Dog, that the cards have that visual element where you've got the, the artwork from the, the strips, which, you know, as a fan, you love seeing that stuff and, and seeing how it's actually working in the game itself. Um, so I found that a lot of fun. Another thing that really pleased me about Judge Dredd is someone who's a, already a, a big fan of the Strontium Dog game was that there was so much continuity in the rules between both games. So it meant, as somebody who's getting on a bit these days, <laughs> it was easy for me to jump from playing Strontium Dog into Judge Dredd. I mean, from the outset, we, we knew we wanted to have a fairly universal set of rules to cover uh, different 2008 strips. Uh, and we actually picked Strontium Dog as being a more kind of like enclosed set of miniatures and part of the universe that we could try the idea out on and you know like get, get the rules perfected for before moving on to other topics like judge tread so that was always kind of in the mix that we wanted the, the system to be very very similar to each other no that's it was uh, much appreciated anyway in my, in my end <laughs> definitely yeah i mean plus plus we actually wanted to be able to transpose characters directly from one to the other because they do that in the strips you know yeah johnny alpha and wolf do show up in Mega City One, uh, as you know, time traveling bounty hunters at some stages and stuff like that, and we really wanted that to be uh, an ability because that's one of the, the other good reasons to do Strontium Dog first is because it's kind of rife with dimension hopping and time traveling and stuff like that. So you can like intermix or duplicate characters, and it's like okay, it kind of fits in with the universe. It's whack out there. They've got necromancers and all kinds of stuff, you know. So. Being able to take that real wildness and then sort of like put it into the into the arena with Judge Dredd as well was always really on the cards for us, and we wanted the, the two to work together in that regard. Yeah, and it's got the there's a particular uh, big med card which allows you to bring uh, yeah. Johnny and Wolf into the. Yeah, yeah, we, we we literally have the random event for it in the big med cards. If you have Johnny Alpha and uh, Wolf Sternhammer, you can like have them think into your game to come and arrest somebody for the crimes of their great-great-grandchildren or something like that. <laughs> and seeing as you mentioned about kind of cross-hopping with the games, one of the things I was going to ask was about how close the game systems are with in relation to the notoriety. It's the costings are both... Yeah, they're, they're, they're worked on exactly the same system, yeah. so all cross-compatible. And it's one of these ironic things. As, as a games designer, you, you kind of have this pretension thrust on you to a certain extent where you feel like each game you do should be different from the last one mm -hmm. uh, and you know you should develop it in some new and intriguing way or something like that but the thing that struck me most from reading feedback about Strontium Dog and Just Dread is like your response of the relief 
people have that they don't actually have to learn a new set of rules and that they can just apply the stuff they've already learned to this game and it works fine it's okay you don't need to relearn it you know maybe with the odd little tweak here and there but it's fundamentally the same so it kind of really reinforced that point of like actually that's a good thing to do and you know sometimes you don't want that game designer pretension to get in the way of people just being able to get on and play the game really you know it's fine as it is you don't need to mess with it yeah and i think it's fair to say that probably if you're a tabletop gamer who likes Strontium Dog or likes Judge Dread, you're probably going to buy both games anyway. You're probably invested enough in the setting that... Yeah, absolutely. You've got you know, miniatures that will work alongside each other and you, you want to kind of intermingle them, really. So yeah. yeah, why try and make them separate walled gardens, in effect, when you, you can actually have the same sort of thing as you see depicted in the 2008 strips of it being like a wacky universe that does cross over at times and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and even I think um, Hammerstein's even crossed over into Judge Dread before, so you know, if at one day there was a <laughs> Nemesis or ABC Warriors they would equally be quite able to come into the Judge Dread universe in one way or another. And again, Nemesis has a thing with time travel as well. I'm not suggesting that's on the card set, by the way. <laughs> Just hypothetically. No, I, to me... To me, trying trying to you know engineer that as much as possible, I, I think is is part of the key of doing the 2008 game series. That you know it does work together because it's comic strips, and that's that's what they do. You know they do cross over, they do intermingle, they do borrow ideas off each other and things like that. So uh, I think that's a good thing. Although we have a tale to tell about that later on in this particular interview. All right. So uh, we'll get to that when we get to it. <laughs> well. Just continuing the theme of the of the mixing the games, have you actually ever run a game where you've been using both systems at once? In other words, like the, if you had like the judges of Mega City One using the big Meg cards and they encounter a band of muties who are using the chicanery cards, and if so, did that? How did it play out? Did it work? Because because the the cards are owned by players, uh, it's fine actually. It works out. You know, one side is slippery, the other side has the, the randomness of the city almost on their side. So, yeah, yeah we have tried that, and it, it, it just worked okay, really. Admittedly, that was like three players, I think, going on there. Yeah, I think it would be a lot of fun. Well, that's one of the nice things about the system, is it, it, it plays to multiple players pretty easily as well. It's, it's sort of fairly well adapted for mm. it, because of the way the action chips works. It's just like, okay, that guy or those guys go next, and it doesn't matter whose players they are. The turn sequence is integrated anyway. Absolutely, yeah. Bringing things back just to Judge Dredd again for a moment. Mm. Obviously, the kind of core rulebook features the likes of Dredd, Anderson, Judge Death, and Mean Machine Angel. But I'm just I'm wondering about the process of picking the key characters to feature in the game. That must have been <laughs> horrendous, uh, given the the forty years worth of characters and enemies that Dredd has faced. Yeah, yeah, it went went through a few rounds, that's for sure. Uh, I mean, some of them are given, some of them are really, really, really obvious. I'm clearly going to have just dread. That means really you have Anderson as well. Uh, just death, yeah, of course. And beyond that, yeah, you, you the, the, there's a lot of ground to cover. Frankly, one of the things that we knew in a general sense that we wanted to do was kind of show the more modern style of just dread. Mm-hmm. I think I might have mentioned this before because again. It's evolved over the years, and different artists have portrayed things in different ways. So you've got multiple different images of Lawmaster bikes over time. Yeah. There's been a conscious change um, to the lawgivers, you know, the pistols that the judges have, going from the Mark I lawgiver to the Mark II lawgiver. You know, that's been a thing in the strips themselves, and you know, problems with the new gun and all this kind of stuff. 
and that made it kind of easier in a way because the old Mark One Lawgiver is is a bit weird looking by modern sensibilities, and it's really stalky and long, which means it's hard to cast, uh, and you know, prone to warping and stuff like that. So it was like, well, ideally we would like the chunkier looking, you know, Mark II Lawgiver on these guys. So that kind of like presented more of like, well, we probably want the more modern styling in that case, in a general sense. Plus, with the more recent Carl Urban movie that came out, and there's been a push through 2000 AD for a particular image of Judge Dredd, and we, we kind of tried to cleave to that more closely. So that in itself kind of like affected which characters we'd look at. We thought about all kinds of things. I'm like, well, you know, we could do specifically the Judge Charge saga, for example, or we could do Crossing the Cursed Earth or something like that. But no, really, we wanted it sort of set in the the day-to-day, you know, crimes and fights in Mega City 1. So we wanted it to be kind of current. We wanted it to be set in Mega City 1, and that, that kind of brought the, uh, the number of different characters to look, look at down to a bit more of a manageable selection. Mm-hmm. And of course, within all this as well, you don't want the whole range to be just characters. You need to have some just grunts and criminals and regular judges in there and stuff like that as well. So that kind of fills out a certain number of slots. So... But yes, it was some very difficult choices. You can blame Paul Sawyer, actually, for most of them. It was mainly for, oh, we've got to have this guy. Oh, we've got to have a her. And all that sort of stuff. I think because he had a really strong um, visual image of how they would look as miniatures mm-hmm. that he liked and, you know, wanted to pursue that. It's like, like I say, as you say, there's 40 years worth of characters. So pick and choose the ones that look cool is as is, is good a way of approaching it as any, really. Oh, definitely. And since you're mentioning the log over there, I agree with you, by the way, about the uh, the Mark One. Mm. As somebody that owned some of the old Games Workshop Judge Dread figures, oh, right. we yeah. kept losing. We kept having those stems breaking off the the gun, yeah. so it was really frustrating. So it was a great, uh, even if it was even from the design aesthetic aside, from a yeah, they, they don't even really look particularly good. You know, they're they're very much a product of their time. Yeah, and I, I understand the desire to sort of like you know, well, let's just change these. So. And yes, a, a bonus to actually making miniatures out of them these days that they're not quite so fragile and bendy. <laughs> Definitely. I'm guessing that designing the, the specialist ammunition for the Lawgiver would have been a lot of fun. Although I'm guessing a lot of it would have almost been a straight transfer from what Johnny Alpha's... Um... Yeah, in, in effect, we'd done the, the groundwork for it with uh, Johnny Alpha's Westinghouse Variable Cartridge Blaster. Mm-hmm which, again, is a big character in the Strontium Dog uh, strips because it's this curious gun which can do amazing things sometimes. <laughs> like, you know, if he needs to blow up a bunch of people at once, number four cartridge, boom, and it does that. But, you know, earlier in the strip when he had a bunch of people to blow up, he didn't do it. Later, he doesn't do it. So clearly there's like some sort of ammunition issues or something going on where he doesn't just use it all the time. So we had to come up with a system for that, basically. Mm-hmm. Where you know the the other capabilities of the weapon were used when it was dramatically important and you know tactically important and stuff like that, which is how we did that gun where you draw armory cards and some of them can be used as ammunition basically for the weapon so that you can use it you know like a grenade launcher or what have you in effect for a one for a single shot and that pretty much tracks across yeah to how lawgivers work as well where they have all these amazing ammunition types that they use when it's dramatically appropriate. So, again, you know, a fairly limited amount to be used, so you don't just go banging your heat seekers off at everybody you fire at. And it seemed like it would work much the same way, of like, you know, sometimes you've got it, sometimes you don't. Yeah, as somebody that's uh, been playing 
the old role-playing game of Judge Dredd, it's very, it seems to be a bit rare seeing them using general purpose bullets, which is, uh, mm. so yeah, I think you've got it right, the balance there, that they're, because it means that people always want to use armor piercing or, or whatever ricochet or yeah. whatever it is that their favorite loadout is, which nothing wrong with that, but yeah, I like to see them get using a bit more of a mix of the ammunition and particularly general purpose. Yeah, just a bit more general execution going in there as opposed to all the specialist rounds all the time, but yeah. Did any of the other hardware in the, the Judge Dread universe, when you were adapting it for the game, did any of that present any particular problems? I mean, obviously some of it's kind of fairly high-powered, the laser guns. Yeah, well, they, they can be covered by, you know, just giving them a stat line and stuff like that. That's That's not so bad. But you do get some amazingly destructive things in the strong team dog like time bombs already so when it came to just dread it was like you kind of had less to worry about really to be honest the 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 very very high sci-fi kind of stuff that can go flying around in strong team dog again just occasionally you know he doesn't always throw time bombs at people but when it's dramatically appropriate yes he does so we could come out to it, it it's a lot more uh, war gamey in a way in the way that you're looking at kit, thing, you know, there's gas and there's things like that to worry about, but nothing particularly complicated in its own way. Riot foam was a bit of a weird one to try and figure out. Of course, I never really thought of it from that point of view yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What does that do then? Um, so, yeah, a few little oddities like that, but but nothing too dreadful because, say, we, we'd already had to um, cover a, a lot of ground for Strontium Dog on the front of how you deal with different um, different effects in the game. Yep. And as well as the armoury and the big med cards that we already mentioned, the sentencing of perps is another thing that happens in the game, which is very particular to Judge Dredd. Um, I thought it was another great flavoursome touch. Yeah, and it, it's it's kind of in there purely for that, really, to be a flavoursome touch. Because, again, you read the strips, nine times out of ten in one of the strips, the, the sentencing at the end is kind of the punchline to the story itself. You know, the the, the classic case of, like, uh, and you being taken hostage by a purpose of crime, you know, you get six months and things like that. <laughs> it, it's kind of like the end of the story, or like, so it, it was an important feature we felt to uh, to include something about the sentencing. I mean, it doesn't really have a game function unless you're playing a campaign, but um, clearly we had to have something to say about it. And Roger managed to dig around and found like a list of the different sentences and crimes from somewhere. Uh, I think like an old. 2008 annual or something like that that it had been published in. So we use that basically to create the table of like how much you should give people for different crimes, which has some surprising things on it, if I'm entirely honest. But you know, that kind of adds to the charm of it. So, yeah, it's uh, something I was quite interested in myself from having various versions of the, the role playing game because they've all got their own versions of. Uh of what the sentencing is so yeah it was quite interesting for me to look at it from that point of view as well and see where things were were matching to what other things i'd i'd had yeah it's wild isn't it it's a real chinese whispers kind of thing <laughs> yeah. about you know what, what sentencing should be i mean nobody's to say that it's it's remained static for the entire duration of just dread either there, there are certainly things in the, the, the list that we got which were you know clearly high crimes at the time like stooky glanding yeah um, where you go like, oh god, that's life. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's other things which are sort of like, you know, like arson and property damage, where it's like, oh, you know, yeah, one to five years or six months or something like that. Oh, no, not that big a deal. It's like, really? <laughs> but, um... The stickies were just such cute aliens, that's why. You know, it, was, it was so bad to harvest them. That's, mm. It was obviously such a nerve with Judge Dredd somewhere. 
<laughs> so, yeah, I mean, now that Judge Dredd's been out for a while, I think we've covered the whole range of everything that's in the rule book. I mean, can we expect the range to expand further? I think most fans would probably love to see the rest of the Dark Judges and, you know, the likes of the Angel Gang. Obviously, as you said, as we mentioned earlier on, there's been so many countless enemies that Dredd's faced that the potential there is pretty much limitless. And this is it. And entire storylines as well, lest we forget, where, you know, a fairly unique enemy appears and things like that. I'm thinking of specifically the Apocalypse War, for example. It's like, oh, self-judges, you know, which is an entire faction in its own right. I'm not in, I'm not fully privy um, to the future plans of Warlord, and even if I was, I couldn't say. But I do know that out of the 2000 AD titles that... Um, Warlord has a license for that, you know, Judge Dredd really is the jewel in the crown amongst all those. It's the most well-known, the most popular strip in 2008's movies made about it in this whole nine yards. And as such, there, there will be plans to make further releases for Judge Dredd. Certainly in the past, we've talked about theming them, like I was saying about, you know, oh, you could do the Judge Charge Saga or you can do the Apocalypse War or something like that and make it a fairly bulky set of different things coming out at once maybe a book to go with it and stuff like that how far along those sort of plans are i don't know things have been very knocked around this year uh, obviously with covid and so forth so plans have gone backwards but i think i think i can safely guarantee you that there will be more just red things coming out in the future yes that would be wonderful <laughs> i mean another thing is as well of course the fans are absolutely desperate to do rules for those things i mean you can adapt to the strontium dog rules pretty much the custom rules to, to build your own characters in the meantime. Yes. Yeah, I've been seeing a lot of those old Judge uh, Games Workshop uh, Judge Red miniatures, and the Foundry made some for a while as well, didn't they? Oh, it's Mongoose. Mongoose. Well, I think both of those is actually true. So th- there's a number of miniatures already out there in the world that I do see people backing out and using them again. That's great. That's a, a nice reinforcement about why you put in those kind of build your own rules because the 2008D games are kind of a bit of a funny one. They're, they're almost like a semi role playing game. You know, it's like a tabletop role play game. So having the uh, ability to be able to sort of like build your own stuff for it, I think is actually quite valuable for it. People do seem to uh, enjoy that a lot. Yeah, and it keeps people playing the game as well if they if they feel that they've given the, the existing range of miniatures are. A run out as it were and they want to kind of mix up uh, the action and sometimes as well i think I, I find as a player as well that i quite like if there's things i can do to interact with the rules or something i can make of my own and add to it then i always i'm sure you probably <laughs> hate fans messing about with, with, with their own mods and things but not so much that but i mean i think that would be quite a fun process to sit and build your characters of your favorites if you've if you've got other ones that you've got in mind you know yeah yeah, I, I always tend to view um, the rules I write as being as much a toolkit as anything else that you hand off to people to play the games they want to play. You know, you try and make a good set of tools that works together and, you know, will build a table of a certain size or what have you, but can also build a set of shelves if that's what they want, or a chair if that's what they want. That's the ideal. And Strontium Dog and Judge Dread actually hit that fairly closely because so I, I view it a bit more as a role-playing game. There's always a concern when you hand over the tools to players, God bless them, that they will, yes, then proceed to break the system with them, which is a possibility. So you have to be a bit wary about doing it in games that are going to be played competitively, because in a competitive environment, then that sort of stuff can get out of hand very quickly indeed, and that's like literally break the game. But for something that's a lot more kind of like narrative base, 
scenario based, more role playing like these games tend to be. And I should hasten to add, you can play it competitively, of course. You'll just need to stick to vanilla, what's in the book. Having that facility there is, is yeah, it's, it's actually it's a boon rather than being a detriment, as it could be in a more competitive style of game. Yeah, and I'd imagine a lot of 2000D fans or gamers probably aren't that competitive anyway. I would imagine that it's more a kind of casual thing, and it's because they... Yeah, they, they get into 2000, something like 2000AD in the first place because they like the narrative, yeah. is the truth of it. They like the characters and the stories. So it's definitely a, a good bet that um, presenting a system that supports that more strongly, perhaps, than the hard-edged competitive play is the right way to go with it. Yeah. With you mentioning last week that you had mentioned a certain warp spasming warrior from the land of the young, uh, yes. presumably in general terms, the uh, the future's bright for 2080 tabletop games. Yeah, in general, I say it's an ongoing thing for Warlord. You know, they have 2008 strips. They are huge fans of it. And like most of the older guys that are there are like me. They, you know, we read it literally on the school playground. So it means a lot to us. So. In most, and part of the challenge, if I'm honest, is to not just put out Judge Dredd stuff all the time. So, next up uh, will be Slain, the Warped One himself, which is a, a fairly unique thing, certainly in 2018, and kind of among comics in general, in that it's a fantasy hero. Most 2018's leanings tend to be towards, you know, more sci-fi stuff or contemporary. So... Full-on fantasy stuff is a bit more of a rarity. And certainly ones that are as long-running as Slain has been. You know, well, he's unique in that respect. He's the, the one abiding symbol of fantasy in the 2008 comic, really. And he, he is one of those sort of like featured heroes that you'll see when you, whenever you see a, a pastiche of different 2008 characters. It will usually have Slain in it. So we felt we should tackle that one next. Uh, and get some fantasy things out there. Yeah, that'll be a nice change. Yeah, big change of place. Can you see where the problem's going to come in? <laughs> uh, the problem comes in is when you take your nice, shiny, well-developed universal system for doing sci-fi gunfights, which is really what we did with Strontium Dark and Judge Dredd, and try and apply it to a fantasy game. Yeah. So we, we, we went through some, some um, quite a lot of development, actually, in the end, because of delays and stuff like that. We spent over a year on this. Uh, we worked on Slain... You know, initially to be quite different because it's like, well, clearly it's fantasy, so we'll need to rework the rules a lot. Mm-hmm. Because the, the whole dynamics of like, well, you just you're actually moving models into base-to-base contact and then resolving fights is going to be what most of the game is. You know, you're not ducking around cover and stuff like that. So the emphasis was in like an entirely different place. I mean, you can fight people in close combat in Strontium Dark and just Dread, and then you'll bash, it, bash each other around a bit. But it's kind of a supplemental thing as well as shooting at each other. Whereas it was pretty clear in Slain, I mean, missile weapons are not very prevalent in Slain. At all. You know, you'll, you'll get the occasional bit of using bows or throwing spears or stuff like that. But it's, again, it's, it's, it's about as frequent as time bombs, if I'm entirely honest. So it was clear we'd need to do a lot with the, the melee combat system. I'll be excited to see what you, you bring out with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, what can I say about it, really? What I was going to say is, like, we, we kind of veered off quite a lot into the weeds at one point about making the system a bit different. And then, again, looking at the kind of response that we had from Judge Dredd and Strontium Dog about similarities in the rules, we, we actually made a conscious effort to try and pull it back to be as close as I feel I can make it to the, the other two game systems, but basically with a, a, a more highly detailed close combat system. 
uh, for like heroic close combat, which actually kind of like it uses uh, a set, it uses cards as well for feats, basically all your salmon and stuff oh, right. like that uh, are cards. So that kind of replaces your armory, and then we've got a system of boons as well for the gods. Oh, that's so um, So that there is magic. You know, we've got like sour magic and earth magic that you can use and stuff like that, which can be blessings or you know literal like. Uh, crows try and pick out your eyes, um, depending on what the spell is. And so again, after using the cards, enabled us to get a lot of flavour into the into the uh, the game in general, but was reflecting the strips about what it's all like. So the close combat is quite bashy, and it, it's a contested style of combat as well. Like if you're fighting another hero, you'll both be throwing feats at each other, and there's various conditions that can apply, which means that because they're divided into like suits, like sun and moon feats, and depending on the the aspect at the time and things like that, one can be more powerful than the other. Because we're we're trying to like riff off of all of the the cosmic stuff going on. In Pat Mills works, uh, and it's actually it's pretty good. It's good fun. It is good fun. Um, it is quite different. They, you know, we we've tried to make it more similar than different. And certainly, when I was writing the rules, I've actually actively flagged up the look out, guys. This bit is different sections uh, for people. One from the other from the other game systems because as you say you're kind of getting to a point where if they get one 2000 AD game there's a good chance they're going to get others as well because they're likely 2000 AD fans so um, again wants to be really kind of like sensitive to that possibility and not put up any walls for people because not everybody loves to read you know war games rules I'm not that fond of it myself so try and make the transitions uh, as smooth as we can no that's a great idea because um I did read the dread rules really carefully, just in case there were any kind of tweaks that I wasn't. So obviously there was a lot of it. It's just I was like, right, that's, that's that's the same, that's the same, that's the same. Yeah. But I was reading it properly, but just you know, as I said, just in case there was any kind of minor tweaks to the game. But so I think that that would be great, actually. Yeah, we, we, tried, we tried to avoid doing stuff like that, uh, and and basically add some slightly more in depth rules. Where you might need them, there's a bit more about buildings, basically, and just dread on the assumption that you're likely playing Exit One, and you might need to, you know, break into a shop front or what have you. So there's rules there for how to deal with locked doors and stuff like that. But um, that was it. I say they're, they're very much the idea was to keep the cores the same. We did kind of like vary the stat lines a little bit. Stuff in Just Dread tends to be uh, less tough. It's got less resist as a rule. It tends to be a bit more evadey. Which is just purely predicated on the fact that you know your citizenry and your gangs—they aren't tough mutants. They're just guys who are a, a bit more skinny and light on their feet, probably. So just try to reflect a few minor tweaks like that in the course of doing the two different games. But I say fundamentally, though, they intermesh with each other a lot. I can't say that you'd necessarily be able to unleash slain into uh, Mega City One without a little bit of work. <laughs> but, um, in fairness, even Pat Mills hasn't done that. No, no. In, in theory, it would be a possibility. But yeah, the, the whole thing, like, well, do we do the time killer thing with, like, lasers and scythrons and all the rest of it, it came up. But uh, we decided to go to uh, classic Slough territory instead. Yeah, I mean, I, as much as I love the, the time killer series and the, the Tomb of, uh, oh, what was it? I forget the, the god's name now. Tomb of whatever his name was. It was something unpronounceable, wasn't it? It was like Grismanantham or something. I can't remember. But <laughs> yeah. as much as a fan of it, I was of those. I mean, I thought that was like peak imagination on Slain. Oh, I love the series. I read it. I really enjoyed it. 
and it, it it really was quite different for Slane, and it's one of the reasons I enjoyed it as well. And it was yeah, it was crazy, you know, it was all crazy. It had laser pistols and shit like that. Yeah, but it, yeah, it, it's it's absolutely not representative of the of the strip at large across the <laughs> across the period. I would say so. When there was, and they've never done it again, basically. So it, it didn't seem like it should be our first port of call when it came to Slane. No, but again, much like just Dread, much like Strong Team Dog, that's not to say at some point in the future we don't do a little box set of Sethrons and lasers or what have you, because we can. Yeah, that would be fun. We won't stop this. <laughs> but again, with Slane, Slane, there's a fair bit to cover before you can get onto stuff like that, really. But it, it all kind of depends on Paul, really. It depends on whether he's at his Weetos in the morning or not. <laughs> well, I hope nobody does stop you, Andy, because. Uh... I think I'm not alone in really enjoying loving having access to playing 2000 AD characters on the tabletop. And it's, yeah, it's been a real pleasure to me to be able to ask you about all this and, and to follow your story from where it all began right the way through to, you know, what might be coming down the road now. So I really appreciate you giving your time to us and, and coming on to talk about it. No worries at all. It's it's such a pleasure. It really is just like a, a, a real secret guilty pleasure to be able to work on 2000 AD games in the first place because as I touched on they mean a lot to me and to the other guys working on it so it's really sort of it's quite the honour really to be able to do it at all so I'm very happy to talk about it and rattle on the fellows (laughs) No well it's a pleasure to play the games as I say from the you know same as yourself a a huge fan of the comics and uh, and to be able to do it on the tabletop is great it's like as I said I think I said in the previous episode, it's where I started out with my gaming with Judge Dread, and and so to have it come full circle later on in mm. life is is a, it's a, a real pleasure. So thank you very much. And there you have it. Not only did I not expect an exclusive about what the next 2008 game would be, but we also found out some details about the mechanics. It's already had me thinking about the various miniatures, particularly what a warp spasming slain miniature would look like. I've also been wondering about which abilities his character would have, and perhaps fitting in with some of the chicanery that we saw in the Strontium Dog miniatures game, how the character of Uko would work with his sneakiness, greed, and general cowardice. However it works, I'm sure it will be fantastic, as I think Andy's love and knowledge of the 2000D source material is shown through across both these interviews. I'm incredibly grateful to him for taking a chance on us and coming on here to share his thoughts on the games, and I'm sure everyone would agree that he gave us a very interesting and entertaining insight into Warlord Games' 2000D project. I also want to thank everyone who has been listening, subscribing, sharing, liking and commenting upon our podcasts. We're still in the early days of building a following, so anything you can do to recommend us to friends is a wonderful help. And rest assured that we'll be back again very soon as we field more questions from the community for Free League's alien role-playing game. So until then, keep on living the life of die.